Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Before I start the Bible reading of Psalm 73, uh, we're just trying something new today. So can everyone please go off mute? Psalm 73, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the heart of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amazing, amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have um, been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, um, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold, me, you hold me by my right hand. You guard me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I um, in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far um, from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign uh, Lord my refuge. Mm. I will tell all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, uh, we're just asking you to have to be unmuted. So uh, it's just it's just an experiment. Just want to see if it makes it a little bit more interactive, you know. Particularly if Don Don's there and we can hear some of you know Don's great feedback that really keeps us creatures going. Uh, amen. I expect. Well done. That's what I want to hear. Was that Reese? I knew Reese would give me an amen. Woo! Preach. <laughs> okay, now you might be overdoing it. Let's just get on with it. Yeah. Well. What makes you envious? Can you think of the last time you envied somebody? What was it? 
that you envied about them? Was it their popularity, their looks? Was it their wealth? Was it the number of friends that they have on Facebook or that they've got this fantastic Instagram influence thing happening? Was it their great marks, their fantastic sermon, their great job, or just how easy they find study and assignments and exams? What makes you envious? Can you think of the last time you envied someone? It's a bit of a Seinfeld thing if you were ever into Seinfeld, but, but one of the things that makes me envious is when I get on a plane and walk past the business class passengers in their kind of spacey cocoons with their, you know, leaning back, their big screens, sipping their champagne, I mean, it would make more sense, wouldn't it, to, to board the business class passengers last, right? Because we're all at the back end, so just get us in first, then usher them in quietly. Then we wouldn't even have to know. We wouldn't even know business class exists. But they do it on purpose because they want you to walk past them and think, yeah, if only I work a little bit harder this year, maybe next year I'll make it to the pointy end of the plane. It fuels our envy. Well, what is envy about? Envy is about everybody wanting to be equal, or at least us wanting to be equal with everyone else. And I'll let you into a little secret about envy. Pastors are the worst at envy. We envy our colleagues' plum appointment or the fast growth of their church or how many church plants their church plants are planting or their easy charisma that makes people like them and follow them and listen to what they say. Mm. I'm a pastor. I am well qualified to speak to you about envy. And as future pastors, this is an area where you need to reflect carefully. What I want to do is begin by helping us understand the nature and destructive effects of envy. Then I want to turn to Psalm 73 and see there the psalmist's experience of envy, how it affected him and what it made him do. And finally, I want to see how that palm pivots around a moment's realisation that brings an end to his envy. And it's a realisation that can help us bring our envy to an end as well. Envy is about all of us wanting to be the same. I want what you have. I want a house as beautiful as yours, a phone with as many features as yours has, your career, your clothes, your recognition, your friends. After all, why should you have the better house, the larger church, the more friends, better clothes, greater prestige than me? It's just not fair. I hate you. That's envy. Is it familiar? 
What do you do when you feel envious? There are two things you can do with envy. Perhaps the most common is the first. That is that it drives me up to your level. It drives me to work harder, study harder, work out harder, climb the career ladder, climb the social ladder, climb the church ladder, gather all the equipments of success and put them on show so that I can feel like I have at last made it to the same level as you. The reason so many of us drive ourselves into the ground, exhaust ourselves, is actually because of envy. And we may disguise it as passion for Jesus or his mission or planting churches, but it really is all about envy. But, hey, if envy is not going to work, if... If I realise that no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to get to your level, then there is an alternative. There is a plan B. If I can't get you up, if I can't get myself up to your level, I can wait till you come down to mine. And so I delight in the failure of others. The Germans have a word for it. Andy and Reese speak excellent German. What's their word for it? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Oh, he says it's such a good accent. I'm envying Reese's accent. Schadenfreude. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't Schadenfreude feel good? I mean, just between us, because we're all in Victoria here, there's no one from New South Wales in this online <laughs> chapel. How did we feel? when they went into lockdown and we weren't. <laughs> and when they complained that, you know, we can only travel 50 kilometres from home, it's terrible. But then they had to it fine. That was schadenfreude. And it's kind of like therapy, right? It's so good. But what is making us feel like that? What is driving us at that point? It's envy. We envy their freedom. And when they lost it and came down to our level, it felt good. That's envy. It, it sits just beneath the surface of our lives. And yet its poisonous effects are deeply felt and profoundly destructive. James 3.16 says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He's saying that envy is the root cause of so much sin, of every evil practice. And, you know, you can look through the Bible and from the very first sin we see that what's lying behind it but envy, as Cain is envious of Abel that his sacrifice was more pleasing to God and murders him. And we can go through to David's adultery with Bathsheba or the crowd's demand that they crucified Jesus or the competing factions in the church at Corinth. And behind them all is envy. Envy 
is profoundly destructive. Destroys both the one who envies and the one who is envied. It destroys relationships. It erodes trust. And instead of being satisfied and joyful, it leaves us discontented and bitter. We need to bring envy to an end in our lives. In Psalm 73, the psalmist finds himself in the grip of envy. He envies the wicked. He envies the wicked for their wealth and easy life. And he becomes angry with them, but particularly with God as a result. He's angry with God because he has done everything right. But God seems to be blessing those who do everything wrong. The psalm begins with a biblical statement that's been for him a core conviction around which he has built his life. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's a statement that comes out of Deuteronomy. And he starts here because this is the rock-solid foundation of his faith, a basic creed that he knows in his head. But while he knows it in his head, his experience causes him to doubt that it's true. The Bible teaches it, but he's not sure if he can believe it because God seems to be good to everyone else except for him. And so he goes on in verses 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And in the next eight verses, down to verse 11, he tells them why. They have no struggles. They're not sick or in pain. They're fit. Their lives are smooth. And while they may fill with pride, swell with obesity and overflow with folly, verse 10, they are praised by everyone. They set their mouths against heaven, and yet the mouths of everyone lords and praises them. He concludes his assessment with a resigned sigh in verse 12. Such are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase riches. Can you detect the undercurrent that lies beneath this whole section of the psalm? It's just not fair. God is just not fair. I should have at least what they have. And if I can't have it, well, then how can God be good to Israel? How can God be true to his promises? What makes it especially unfair is explained in verses 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Notice the spiritual injustice here. 
I have kept my heart pure. I have washed my hands in innocence. You get that, don't you? They are wicked. They are immoral, arrogant, violent, power hungry. And yet they're doing so well compared to me. And for those of us who've made sacrifices to be in ministry, who perhaps have put off buying a house to pay fees, who've put off a comfortable life in Melbourne to serve as a missionary overseas, who have moved and dragged their family to places that they would not otherwise go for the sake of the gospel. You'll recognise that, particularly when you do face struggles, even though you've paid that price. And you look around at those who've done so much better. They've not served the Lord, they've served themselves and they're doing so much better. Brings us back to verse 1 and that statement from Deuteronomy. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God should make me prosper and those I have paid the price. I am serving the gospel. Do you see what envy is doing here? You hear what the voice of envy is saying inside his head. And do you see the impact? Envy is crushing him. It's destroying his faith. It's bringing him to the edge of his sanity. All day long I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. What will happen? Mm. What will happen next? Wow, what if this psalm ended here? Well, he's hanging on the edge of a precipice, about to plunge headlong into the agony, the destructiveness, the betrayal, the gross sin of abandoning God. Then something surprising happens. He pulls back at the last second. Verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Then I understood their final destiny. It's here in the sanctuary of God that he finds a way out of envy. Mm. That we find a way out of envy. Look closely at verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Imagine 
in these verses, he comes to the realization that what they have, what he envies, the very things that have driven him to the edge are nothing. He enters the sanctuary of God. And what happens? Everything is brought into perspective. Instead of gazing constantly at them in envy, he enters the sanctuary of God, looks to him and sees his life and their lives from God's perspective. And he sees what folly and what emptiness it is to envy them. What folly it is to envy them. For they are on slippery ground. They look so confident and self-assured, but what they have, what we envy, is fleeting. Their youth won't last forever. Their health, their money, their house, their status, they're fleeting. They're hollow fantasies, passing dreams that will be destroyed. These things might seem so important until we enter the sanctuary of God and they're exposed for what they are. Hollow and empty. And what's more, their arrogance, their greed, their violent ways will be judged by God. It is God who will cut them down and God who will raise him up. You see, God is the great equalizer. Mm. He will bring an end to envy fully and finally in his judgment. Yes. He is the one that we look to and trust. He is the reason that we do not need to destroy ourselves with envy. When we envy, we want to lift ourselves up and cut them down, but that is God's job. In judgment, he will cut down the wicked, and in judgment, he will raise up the righteous. The injustice that we feel and complain about, if it really is injustice and not our own insecurity, mm -hmm. will be put right. And we can trust God to put it right. The psalmist finally realises this in verse 25. Whom have I have in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In God what God has given him, he has at last found contentment. In envy, he suffered misery and gloom. In God, he found peace and strength. And so he concludes, indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your works. Interesting that his experience of God saving him in this way, saving him from envy and its evil, leads him to tell of God's works. 
Brothers and sisters, ministry is a minefield for those of us prone to envy. It has the potential to drive you into the ground, to depress your soul, to consume your life. Maybe you've noticed it in your own life. Yet it is possible to live without destroying people, without destroying yourself with envy. The end of envy is to know that God is good to his people. The end of envy is to know that God is good to you. Envy says God is not good to his people, that God has not given you enough. The end of envy comes when we trust that God is good to you and to become thankful and content with that. There you'll find joy and satisfaction, the ability to love others without envying them. And the answer to envy is to know that so much of what we desire, so much that we envy is slippery ground, a fleeting fantasy that will be destroyed and swept away. That God is the great leveler who will reward our righteousness and judge the arrogant and wicked. The end of envy is to know that God is good to his people. He is good to you. And in that, there is great freedom. The freedom to truly love your neighbour, not destroy them with your envy. The freedom to delight in their good fortune and seek after their good. The freedom to enjoy what we have with thanks to God, who is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. Let me pray. Our God, you are good. Please assure us of your goodness. Our God, you will lift us up and vindicate us as your people and bring down the wicked in judgment. Please give us faith. We pray that by your spirit, you'll bring an end to our envy, that we might leave godly lives and lead as faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name.